welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 53. Hey, um, Alark, what are you doing? So, before we continue, I just want to say that I hope you all are having a great summer and are staying safe. We still got an epidemic going on, and in the U.S. it's been hitting really, really hard, so please practice some good social distancing. Also, if you haven't yet, go check out the store. Our design is pretty popular, and every sale made goes towards supporting and promoting the show. Finally, I have decided to make October the month of Germany. German month. It's our anniversary, it's the month of Oktoberfest, and it's the month of German reunification. So, definitely an awesome month for Germany. Might as well make it official. To celebrate, we're going to have a series of interviews with graduate students on their research related to German history. Now, I've started to do some cold calling to get as many interviews as possible, and I've already three lined up saying that they would like to or are considering doing it. But I want to get more. It would be amazing if we had one to release every week, or even twice a week. Every interview with graduate students I can get between now and October, I will put up during the month of Germany. Would you like to help? Well, simply reach out to graduate students that you know of, masters, PhD, what have you, and tell them about the show. Tell them what I'm looking for. Tell them that I'm asking for interviews, even if it's barely tied into German or Austrian history or culture or politics. I'm interested, and I will put it up in October. Either send me the information to contact them so I can explain more about what the project is, or have them email me at podcastongermany at gmail.com. This is an exciting chance for graduate students to get their information out to you, an amazing base of listeners who love to learn about history. So please, friends, family members, or even acquaintances, let them know about the month of Germany and help us get as many interviews as we can. Now, I'll be plugging this in every single show, so if you want me to show up about it, go take care of it right now. Thank you. Okay, so last we talked... Things had gone from amazing for Stilethico to really, really, really bad. He had an army, he had peace on the peninsula, and he had a chance to steal away Illyricum. Things were looking good. Then Alaric apparently dies with his army, ruining the whole Illyricum project, and Gaul and Britain go up in flames as Britain breaks away, declaring their own emperor, and a massive horde of Germanic tribes invade Gaul, which is left defenseless. Now, all of Gaul is lost, Spain seems to be slipping away, and we're really not going to be talking too much about this in this episode. Yeah, seriously. Other things pop up that make the loss of Gaul, Spain, and Britain seem eh, not that important right now. But don't worry, I'll explain. We'll get there. You see, as the disaster of losing, you know, the majority of the Western Empire was spreading, Stilethico was dealing with the political outfall from the emperor outmaneuvering him and placing the responsibility for a civil war with the east at his feet. It meant that Stilethico no longer had the domination of the emperor as he had in the past, and that his position, which had relied on this power, slipping. His enemies could take over soon if this continued. This had been exacerbated by the arrival of Constantine in Gaul and the rather quick loss of the region completely. Now, Stilethico is to blame. First of all, he moved really slow, uh, either due to miscommunications and the lack of immediate support, 
Maybe he was still trying to deal with the East to make sure that they didn't think the whole Alaric and his army invading their territory was, you know, supposed to start off a civil war. I mean, psh, that would never happen, right? But he's very slow to react to what's going on. He sends Germans to go deal with it. Completely bad idea. Shouldn't have done that. You don't send Germans to deal with Germans. Uh, the Gauls are not going to accept them. And he's botching this. And he's dealing with the issues of the Emperor no longer accepting him as his puppet master. Or at least, not for long. But eventually, he's able to get things figured around. And he moves his army from the eastern side of the Italian peninsula to the western side. Right when the campaigning season is ending. And the snow is going to cover the passes in 408. Yeah, finally gets the army moving and it's too late. Gaul is going to be cut off from the army. So he starts talking with the emperor, planning the next phase of this campaign, trying to rebuild the relationship he had with Honorus when a letter comes and it says, Hey, so where are you at? Been holding these ports for last couple of weeks, a uh, couple of months now, really. Ready for your army anytime you're coming? Um, send us word. Thanks. Love, Alaric. Yeah, he gets a letter from Alaric wondering what's going on. Why, you know, <laughs> where are you? Why aren't we doing this? Stilithico kind of goes pale for a second. He's like, oh, Alaric's not dead. What? What's going on here? Where did this information come from? And he kind of panics. I mean, Alaric has been on his own, fending themselves against the Eastern Empire probably causing all sorts of damage to Stilethico's attempts to uh, negotiate a peace. And so he goes, oh, Alec, hey, dude, look, sorry. You know, our campaign is ready to go. Found out. Big rebellion over in Britain. Got to go deal with that. So if you could just take your men home, that'd be great. And Alaric has to. I mean, he can't sit in the Eastern Empire. Eventually, he'll send troops and kick him out. And... Alaric's like, fine, all right, go home. And he loses a lot of face for doing this. I mean, he told his people, hey, look, we're going to go on this great campaign. We're going to invade the Eastern Empire. We're going to get rich. We're going to teach those fools a lesson for ever crossing Alaric and the Goths. They get over there. They wait, they wait, they wait, they wait, they wait. Nothing happens. And then they got to go home. None of the loot that they've been promised. And a lot of them are probably looking at Alaric going, dude, Come on, where's the money? Where's the gold? We're going home? Really? This is embarrassing. Why in the world are you our leader? So Alaric goes home, and for now he's quiet. But he knows he can't just let this slide. He can't let Stilethico just get away with sending him somewhere and then sending him back, like a dog. He's going to want something in trade. But he's going to wait. He's got time. He's got to see what's going to happen in Italy to decide what steps he can take. While... Alaric and his warriors are grumbling and going home. Stilethico decides to launch an attack as soon as the campaign season allows for such an attack to happen. But he's not going to go himself. It's too risky. He needs to stay here. He needs to rebuild his relationship with honors. He needs to make sure that he doesn't lose power. He also needs to make sure that if this campaign goes bad, he's got some space between him and the campaign. You know, hey, if I had actually been there, things would have gone according to plan. It's not my fault. So, instead, he's going to send the army under the command of Saurus, a Goth. Now, Saurus had left the Goths after they made Alaric their leader. He was a rival family and didn't want to be under Alaric's rule. And giving him command of the army was kind of a surprise. He is a Goth. He's full-blown Goth. He 
not Roman at all. Uh, he has proven himself as a commander, that's fine. But he is a goth. And for a lot of the Roman generals, that's a problem. You're choosing him over us? Us? Come on, dude. So Saurus is given command of the army that's not too happy to have him. And he crosses the border as soon as the passes allow. And he wins. A smashing victory. Constantine and his rebellious forces are scattered in front of Saurus. The majority of his army is lost. And Constantine is forced to fall back to the city of Valence, where Saurus will be able to easily besiege and wait him out if he wants, or take the city if he gets enough time to build up the proper weapons. This is big. This is awesome. Saurus has turned things around, right? Right? Well, no. Yeah, he's won a huge victory. Stilethico is ready. He's like, yes, this rebellion's going to be over in a heartbeat. We got this in the bag. Alaric's probably going, okay. Yeah, definitely not the time to act right now. Gotta wait. But Constantine, he wasn't done. He had an army there. Yeah, he had his main army destroyed by Saurus. But he had another army being built this entire time. Saurus, who surrounds the city of Valence and is besieging it, is suddenly attacked from the north by a massive army of Franks and Gauls and a couple of other Germanic tribes who had been hired along the Rhine. Saurus is forced to break away. He was not expecting this attack. No word had ever reached him that this army was going to come. Luckily, he's able to keep his force intact enough to maintain integrity, but still, Saurus is forced to give up this rebellious general, this man who claims to be emperor. Now, this force seemed to come out of nowhere, not only to Saurus, but to the sources, too. They, they're kind of miffed at why in the world this, this force was created. Why would Constantine have a second army created if he had his ready to go into Italy? Well, that's something that historians have argued to to this day. Now, surprisingly, I can't find much on this force. I mean, as I said, it surprised the sources. Historians are still arguing about it. But there are a couple of cases to be made. One was that it was a backup. It was a backup made just in case what happened to Constantine, he would have a safety net, something to allow him to come back. Sure. I mean, maybe he's got the money to create a second army in a just-in-case scenario. But that's also a huge waste. I mean, if you're going to lose your main army, what hope do you have that the second army that should have been there with the first army is going to have of winning? Another reason was that he needed something to do with all the Germans. Okay, that makes sense. You need to pay these people to get them off your backs. Uh, they're not going home. Might as well put them in an army and send them to go fight the Romans, you know title of our last episode yeah that could have been it um i i see a lot of reasons why that could have worked and why the army wasn't there yet because they were still building their forces ready to go march and meet constantine's forces down south but there's a third one that i think is very interesting and shows that constantine wasn't just thinking about his one invasion of italy but that he was actually planning to take the entire empire for himself spain which was falling to him, still had resistance. And in fact, uh, in a bit, we'll talk about how Spain tips the scales against Constantine for a while. This army could have been created not to support the army in Italy, not to be the backup of this army in Italy, but actually to have its own campaign down in Spain. It was to clear any resistance and secure the entire western half of this western empire for Constantine. And it just so happened that while they're on their way, oh, hey, Constantine's in trouble. We need to go free him. 
But these are just some of the theories about why in the world this second army was formed and how it came out of nowhere. So Sars falls back. He can't deal with this reinforced army. It's just too big for him. His men are tired. And he starts to retreat back towards the Alps, back towards the passes. Now, during the initial retreat, he was com caught completely off guard. He had no reconnaissance. He had no idea what was coming. And he lost a lot of his luggage, the majority of it, as our sources claim. And so his retreat is actually a little bit faster than the attackers because they're having to go through all the loot they just captured, and Saurus has a lot less to carry with him back towards Italy. Now, Saurus sends word back to Italy saying, Hey, Stilithgo, I kind of need some help. Please, please secure the passes. Make sure we can get through. And as he reaches the passes, he sees troops up ahead, and he's got to feel a sense of relief, going, oh, thank goodness. Troops are waiting for us at the pass. They are there to help us and secure the pass should the Gauls, who are about a day behind us, catch up and wipe us out. They're there to help us. They're there to help us turn this campaign from a disaster to possibly salvaged one. So Cyrus runs ahead with his staff to talk with the garrison to plan the strategy of how to safely get his troops through the pass. And the garrison says, oh, cool, cool, glad to see you. Look, if you want to use the pass, you're going to have to give us all your luggage. If you don't, we're going to sit here, we're going to hold you off, and, you know, we'll wait to see what Constantine offers us. Now, Sars is completely flabbergasted. A unit supposedly loyal to the true emperor is holding the army hostage for its baggage. But he really doesn't have much of a choice in the matter. He can't say, no, screw this, we're fighting you. Because he knows his army is going to take all day trying to take that pass. And by that point, the Gauls are going to catch up to his now battered and bloodied army and annihilate it while it's trying to run through the pass. So, with little hope, Cyrus says, fine, fine, take the baggage. And then he and his men march into Italy. So, campaign starts amazing. They literally had it in their hand. Now it's now it's a disaster. Now Saurus, being a goth, expected probably that what was going to be waiting for him as soon as he crossed this pass was, well, not pleasant. At best, the cold shoulder. He'd lose his status. He'd lose his position. At worst, probably an execution. An example that you fail Rome, this is what you get. But instead, the Senate applauds his efforts and were happy with what he'd been able to do. Kind of shocking, really. But even with the setbacks, the Senate was happy because the army that Cyrus had pulled to chase him was not where I believe it was supposed to be. And Spain was going to get a second chance. Now, yeah, he could have captured Constantine, he could have ended this, but you know what? You did what you could. Good try. Because right at this time, as Cyrus is getting told good job by the Senate, Spain breaks into rebellion. Spain not against the true emperor, but against Constantine, as Honorus's relatives are able to infiltrate the area and get supporters to push the rebellion through the entire region and capture the very important passes through the Pyrenees. This success for the Romans diverts Constantine and will protect Italy for a while, but it will be a very short-lived success. Because as that year comes to an end, the rebellion against the rebellion will eventually lose control of the passes, opening Spain back up to Constantine and allowing him 
a second chance to look at invading Italy. But at this point, we're going to leave the West, leave the fall of Spain, leave the complete loss of Gaul and Britain, and we're going to look eastwards and, well, in Rome itself. Because apparently the Romans thought, you know, wasn't just enough to have issues with losing half your empire, we also got to deal with Alaric. Now, to be fair, it's not like the Romans started this. This is actually on Alaric, who, just as Spain is broken into, Alaric decides, hey, you know what? I'm going into Italy. I got some complaints. And so he and his army marches through the Alps and settles in northern Italy, sending a message to Stilithico that some grievances need to be rectified. Now, Alaric crossed the pass of the Alps near the river Fregardus, where in 394 both Stilithico and Alaric had fought the Battle of Fregardus under Theodosius in a different time. Alaric had crossed simply for payment. He didn't come expecting a new war with Stilithico. He didn't want to conquer the entire empire. He wanted to be paid. Seriously. He brought grievances to Stilithico stating that he had been forced to pay his men out of pocket during the whole campaign in the east. You know, the whole botched one that Stilithico never went on. And this is probably true. I mean, Stilithico thought he was dead. Why would he pay a dead guy to keep an army up? Alaric stopped receiving provisions, stopped receiving any payment he was receiving in order to do this campaign, and had no idea why. Alaric wanted to be paid 4,000 pounds of gold to cover his expenses in the failed invasion, which was fair. I mean, he had kept his end of the bargain. He had invaded. He had secured the forts like he was ordered. It was the Romans who had failed on their half. They never arrived with supplies or reinforcements to back him up. In Alaric's mind, Stilithico really had no choice in the matter. He should pay him. And in Stilithico's mind, he also didn't have much of a choice, but not because he felt that Alaric was justified. It's because, honestly, there was too much other stuff going on. Gaul and Britain are gone. Spain is collapsing, despite their attempts to raise a rebellion against the rebellion. He had just lost his attempt to defeat Constantine. Now, 4,000 was a lot, enough to keep over 50,000 men in the field, but it was still something that Rome could cover, even on their tight budget. Now, this leads actually to something that historians still kind of argue about, is whether or not Alaric was doing this on purpose, whether or not he crossed the Alps and was demanding the money now because of the issues still Ethico was facing, or if there was other reasons involved. Now, looking at it from our perspective, we're like, of course he was doing it now. Stilethico's army just got defeated. Spain is in ruins. Why not do it now? But we're kind of forgetting that we can see the entire map in front of us. We can see all the events happening at the same time. Alaric's not getting that. He can only see what's happening around him. He has to rely on reports, on messages, to tell him what's happening in the world outside of his general area. So maybe he hears about the defeat Maybe he hears about the fact that the Roman army is pushed back into Italy. Or maybe he hears about how the Senate is praising the general who successfully pushed the rebellion back. Maybe he only knows about the fact that Spain is in rebellion against the rebellion and might come back to the empire. We're not sure about all the facts that Alaric has at this point. So if he wasn't taking advantage of the situation, why was he doing this now? Well, Alaric wasn't a king in, you know, the way we consider a king. He was selected by the people. His 
rule was rather flimsy, as was most of the Germanic kings early on. He'd been voted in because he promised results. And these results, especially in the last couple of decades, have been, you know, seesawing. And right now, it was in a deficit that could make him lose his crown. He probably nearly lost his crown after the defeat in Italy during his first invasion. But then he got his people a home, he got the power that he said he was going to get, so that way they had better connections, better influence with the Romans. So, you know, things started to look better. And then things looked even better when he said, hey, now we're going to go invade the East, we're going to get our revenge on those suckers who dared betray us before, and we're going to have the backing of the Western Empire behind us. How cool is that? The people are excited. They're like, yes, Alex, best guy. We're so happy we selected him. Let's do this. They invade. And Alec goes, wait, 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 slow down. Let's just take a couple areas. We'll wait for the Romans to back us up. And then we'll go wild. We'll take what we want. So the warriors are like, awesome. You're right. Let's do this by the books. We'll wait it out. And so they do. And then nothing happens. You know, the Romans never show up. So the warriors are forced to go home after a bit with none of the loot they were expecting. And Alec, who is way up here, who is so cool, he was awesome. Well, now he's going downhill because look at him. He's just a lapdog for the Romans. He didn't get us anything he promised us. He, he sucks. Why in the world did we vote for him? Who voted for him? I don't, I don't think I did. And Alaric is, at this point, in 248, 249, going, okay, look, if I don't do something now, I lose my crown. If I don't get some sort of concession from Stelethko to show that I'm still in power, that I still can represent the Gothic people the way they need to be represented in the Empire, I might not have my head by tomorrow morning. And so he invades, probably watching his back as the army is marching with him. And he goes there and he hands the notes off to be sent to Selethico. Probably, probably as nervous as all get out. Just, uh, not sure if this is worth it. Not sure if it's going to work. And he waits. And he waits. And he's hoping that it's going to go off well. And honestly, I don't think Alaric was planning to go to war with Rome. If anything, if Selethico told him no, he was going to have to go home and try to figure something else out. So, Alaric, he needs the money. Stilethko, he wants to give him the money. Problem is, he can't give him the money. He needs the emperor to back him up. And oddly enough, he doesn't need just the emperor, he also needs the senate. Now, the senate had a lot of money. I mean, the senators controlled most of the estates and have been protecting their estates from taxes, well, since the empire had formed. It was something that was strangling the empire pretty badly. And the emperor couldn't afford to pay the funds himself. He was going to have to get the senate to help. And he agreed with Stilethico, or he might have been, his arm was twisted by Stilethico to agree. Alaric had to be paid. They just couldn't afford to fight Alaric right now when things were going so bad. And so they go to the Senate, both of them, to plea the case that Alaric be paid. And this is rather strange. This is a point where the Senate, for the first time, has a certain amount of power in foreign affairs and over the Emperor, something they really haven't had, well, since the Empire has ever formed. And it shows how much prestige and how much power the emperor has lost. So, the emperor, still let to go. They're going to the Senate say, please, 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 pay the money. Just do it. Let's, let's get him off our back so we can deal with the real threat. But the Senate is not in the best of moods. Yeah, they let Saras off, saying, yeah, you did a good job. You almost got him. But look, you did the important thing. Spain is now in rebellion. We're going to win in the end. Well, that's over. S Spain has lost. That's not going to work anymore. And now, Stilethico is coming, demanding money to pay barbarians that we're not even supposed to be fighting. They should be working for us. What? They can't make demands. 
And at this point, the barbarian conspiracy explodes. Because Stiletico, who is a barbarian born himself, as many of them claimed, well, he's lost half the kingdom to one side of barbarians, and now he wants to ransom the other side of the empire to a couple of barbarians that he supposedly had on hire. Look at this man. Look at him. How can we trust him? He's clearly barbarian at heart. He's not a Roman. He's not a true Roman at all. He wants to ruin this empire, burn it down to the ground, and raise a German one. He allowed Britain to fall. Now he wants to pay Alaric money for a campaign we never wanted? And under duress? Something that us honorable Romans never have done in the empire's past? No, pff, forget that. No, no. The Senate breaks down. They get caught in this conspiracy. They get caught in this fight over whether or not Stiletico is behind us. Whether or not this is just another conspiracy to ruin the empire. And the support for the emperor and Stiletico are sorely tested. Because the senators are arguing that Stiletico is the problem. And you know what? The emperor seems to be his little puppet. How can we trust him? How can we work with him? And as the debates raged and Stiletico and the emperor waited. Trying to figure out what the response was going to be. Well, they were in for quite a bit of shock because the response wasn't, yes, we're going to give you the money this time, but, you know, try not to let this happen again. Nor was it, no, we're not giving you the money. Got to figure something else out. No, instead it was, you know what? Screw this. We're going to war with Alaric. We're ending this. We're killing the guy. Seriously. With everything that was going on in the West, the Senate said, screw this. We're done with Alaric. He's caused us enough problems. Everything focused on Alaric. Let's kill him. We're not giving him any money. We're not allowing Stiletico to finish off the Roman Empire. Now, Stiletico and the Emperor were aghast. They had no idea this is what was going to come out of these meetings. This was not what was supposed to happen. They expected some mumbling. They expected some arguments. And they expected the Senate to finally give in and give them what they wanted. What was even worse for Stiletico is that the Senate was actively claiming that it was his fault that it had come to this. That if he just killed Alaric in the first place, none of this would have happened. The empire would have been secured and they would have been living in a time of bliss. This meeting that was supposed to decide whether or not the emperor could have the money was now turning into a court judging the crimes of Stilithico. It was making Stilithico very uncomfortable. Stilithico quickly mounted a defense and with the aid of the emperor pointing out that they had control of Alaric. I mean, he had done what they needed in the past. He was simply coming over to address some issues that he had. You know, just some payment. That was all. This wasn't a threat. And they needed him on their side. And eventually, thanks to the emperor being the emperor, Stilithico was able to turn the minds of many of the senators away from this radical idea of going to war with Alaric. In fact, Stilithico moved so fast, uh, he made sure that A, this word never reached Alaric, okay? He didn't want word to go to Alaric that the Senate was planning to go to war with him because he might have panicked and attacked first before Stiletico could fix this situation. And B, he shut down the Senate to make sure that they couldn't go anywhere until they figured this out. So Stiletico kept at him. He tried to control the situation and he got what he finally wanted. The senators agreed, fine, give you the money, cancel the whole war thing, we'll let Alaric go this time. And as one of the senators quoted, this is slavery rather than peace. This was a turning point for Stilithico. From now on, the Senate would be 
an enemy of his. Yeah, he finally got what he wanted, but it required the Emperor's backing and acquired a lot of twisting of arms and manipulation, something that the Senators were not happy about and would try their hardest to make sure it would never happen again. They saw Stilethico as a problem and needed to make sure that he stayed out of their way or, more likely, be eliminated. The Senators needed a leader, though, and as they gathered, as they were talking in the Senate about this money issue, about this possible war with Alaric, well, they found an ally who would help them in their case against the Lithico and could lead them in their case against the Lithico. Because the senators, while they are gaining power, they're still very weak in the empire. You needed someone who is close to the emperor in order to pull things off. And they found this person in Olympias, a master of the imperial secretaries. He, having the ear of the emperor and working with the emperor most days, was well-placed to lead the opposition. He could do what the senators couldn't. Now, ironically, Olympias had gotten his position thanks to Stilethico's support. Stilethico had campaigned for Olympias to make sure he was made the master of the imperial secretaries. And after this scenario, after the clash between the Senate and Stilethico, Olympias would become their leader, and he would work on the emperor to turn him against Stilethico and further isolate this Germanic leader of Rome. For now, Stilethico had survived and was not going to collapse, but that may not always be the case. Instead, Alaric got his money, and Stilethico seemed to be secure in the peninsula once more. As he was celebrating his victory, though, word reached him that Arcadius, Emperor of the East, was dead. Seriously. He hands Alaric the money. He's probably going, all right, let's look back to Gaul, Spain, see what we can do, how we're going to get this empire back together. And word comes, oh, hey, Arcadius is dead. So, <laughs> really? Really? Now? And once more, the West is going to be dropped again because this is way more important. The Emperor of the East is dead. What's that going to mean? As he's trying to figure this out, another message comes to him. He's like, oh, hey, the Emperor wants to meet you. Honorus, not the dead one. Uh, apparently, there's now an issue in Bologna. Seems the army there is revolting. Still, Ethica's like, come on, give me a break. I'm trying to figure things out. So he goes to Bologna. And he, and he tells the garrison there, look, the emperor's heard what, what you're doing. You keep this up. I'm going to have to execute all the leaders. I'm going to have to decimate your ranks in order to appease the emperor. Of course, the soldiers fall for it. They're like, oh, look, no, 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 no. It wasn't that bad. We're sorry for ever causing any issues. We were just a little worried about what's going on. So sorry. Not going to happen again. Uh, please have some mercy. Help us out here. Still have to go. Still have to go. Goes, yeah, you, no, no, no worries. I'll talk to the emperor. I'll make it cool with him. We'll be good. Just don't do this anymore. So he puts that down. So, you know, he, he gets that one checked off immediately. No more rebellion. Now he's got to deal with what's going on in the East. He's got to figure out who's going to take over from Arcadius. Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the actual leader? Because Arcadius didn't really have anyone to take over for him other than his seven-year-old son. So who's going to be the true power behind the throne, the regent? He's got to figure all this out. Can't deal with, you know, the fact that he's lost three huge sections of his empire. Now, while this could have been a moment of panic for Stilithico, he actually ended up seeing it as an opportunity. This entire time, Stilithico has been trying to unite the two sides of the empire under his rule. He did it at the deathbed of the last emperor. He did it when he tried to eliminate Alaric in Greece. He might have been aiming to do it with this last civil war. It's been his goal to unite the empire under his control. Well, maybe this is another chance. I mean, 
The new guy is only seven years old. What if I go over there and I become the regent? Then I control the east and the west because Honor's, he's a pushover. I can still control him. And while he's thinking about this, he's forming a plan while Honor's, you know, throws a brick at it, breaks it. Because Honor's comes up and goes, hey, you know what? My nephew, he's only seven years old. He's going to need someone to guide him. In fact, he really shouldn't be emperor. He should be the under emperor. I should be the true emperor of both halves of the empire. He can serve under me as, you know, making sure that the east follows me. And so Honorus decides that he's going to go out east and he's going to set up himself as the head emperor, the true emperor with his nephew below him. Now, Stilithko is completely floored by this. He was not expecting Honorus to think about this at all. He never really thought highly of Honorus. And it made him realize that if he allows Honorus to do this, first of all, he'll never control the Empire. And second of all, he loses most of his control over Honorus. Honorus would have both the East and the West. And the East really hated Stilithko, so he would find more people to turn him against Stilithko. And with the power of the East... Well, Stilithko wouldn't have much to keep Honorus pinned down and controlled. But Stilithko, he's a smooth talker. And he goes, Honorus, awesome idea. I love it. Problem though, can't really afford it. You see, emperors, they got to move in style. You got to go everywhere in style. If you want to go to the Eastern Empire, you got to go in major style, right? You got to have huge parades. You got to have banquets every night. You got to have a large escort. Can't really afford that. It's just too expensive. Uh, we just spent a lot of our money trying to pay Alaric off. We don't have much in the bank in order to afford a trip for you to go to Constantinople. Also, if you leave Italy and we lose control of the Alps, not saying we will, of course, but if that happens, well, then Constantine can just walk into Rome and talk to the senators to make him emperor because where's Honorus? He's not here. He's out in the east. Constantine's right there. He can fix all their problems he can be their man so if you leave italy we could lose the entire west and honorus realizes that okay i can't argue with you stelithico you're right sorry i won't go you can go and he grumbles a bit but he agrees to allow stelithico to head out stelithico will go to the east he will set up the new regency for this new emperor and then come back and help Honorus fight this war. Well, that's great for Stilithko. You know, he's going to get his dreams. He's going to be able to go out to the east. He's going to be able to establish dominancy over there. Problem is, who's going to replace Stilithko? He can't be at two places at once. Well, he decides to name Alaric as his replacement. Not in command of everything, but in command of the armies. Alaric will lead the Roman forces in northern Italy. Yeah, you heard me right. Alaric. The goth, the one they just had to bribe to make sure that he didn't cause any problems. Well, now he's in command of the entire armed forces. And those senators who were upset at even the idea of having to pay him now realize that Alaric has complete control in Italy. He could do what he wanted. And that's not going to sit well with them. It's also not going to sit well... It's also not going to sit well with the army who, you know, yet again, their high command got stepped over for another... German. Really? We're putting another German in command of us? That went so well last time, we nearly lost our army. Get, you know, he nearly captured the enemy emperor, but, you know, we almost lost our army. Gonna let that happen again? But Stilithka's mind was made up. Now, he'll name a Roman to replace him on the political and 
the home side of his power, but Alaric will command the army. And so with Stilithico going to the east to fulfill his dreams of uniting the empires under his rule, well, Alaric is getting his dreams fulfilled. He gets command of the entire Roman army in Italy and finally gets that sense of power, if not the recognition yet, that he's always been searching for. And thus, we end the episode with Alaric and Stilithico on their ways to fulfill their dreams. As I said, the problem in the West kind of fades. It's not been taken care of. In fact, it's growing with the fall of Spain. But politics, the Germans in the East, has shown that retaking Gaul, Spain, and Britain, well, in Stilethko's mind, and probably in quite a few of the leaders of the Roman Empire, retaking those territories, they're at best second priorities. As they say, you gotta follow your dreams, no matter the cost. Alright, that will cover it. I hope you all have a great two weeks. Be safe this summer. Uh, remember about the month of Germany. If you have anyone out there you'd like to be interviewed because of their current graduate work, you can reach me at podcastongermany at gmail.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.